Last week, we ended talking about these birds of prey. These birds of prey. And for all those guys that went out there hunting yesterday, and if you're an awful shot, those birds of prey might be having a uh, ball this morning, you know, tearing apart your, your deer that you couldn't find or wounded. Um, but these three birds of prey that steal away God's promises. God promised it. It's yes and amen. It's on its way. But we get so caught up. In misunderstanding God, his word, and, and who we are in Christ, we, we, we let um, worry and anxiety and, and even just being disconnected from one another to steal away, to steal away God's word and his promises. And we learn from Abram that what he did while he was waiting on God was he went up and he kept kicking away and shooing away those birds of prey until God finally came at just the right time. So we're encouraged to be just like him in that, um, in that aspect. Waiting is an interesting act. It's not something that anyone I've ever met really enjoys doing, is to wait and to wait, right? Nobody likes to wait, especially when you're forced to. And if you take just a quick look around any waiting room, you'll observe some interesting habits. You know, you'll, you'll observe those who came prepared, like, like Nikki. She's got her yarn. She's got her, um, whatever you call them, sticks. And uh, <laughs> she's ready to just, you know, work at it and make something amazing out of a string. Like, it just blows me away. It's, it's so much fun. You know, those who come ready. Um, or like the man with this crossword puzzle or Sudoku, you know. You see people that... They came, they knew it was going to be wait, and they're just ready for it, whatever. They're just chilling and waiting for the time to come. You'll see the tops of people's heads like me when they're on their smartphones, you know, playing games or on social media or whatever, you know. That's what you see more and more often in waiting rooms these days. Uh, they just distract themselves on their smartphones. And then, of course, you usually see those overachievers. They've got their laptops and their Bluetooth headsets in, and they're still working. You know, they're still working while they're waiting. Then you'll see those in the waiting rooms that have absolutely no patience at all, right? And you may have been that person from time to time. Their legs bouncing up and down, their arms are crossed, and every now and then they make a smart remark of like, when I'm late, I gotta, you know, I gotta pay this big old, you know, fine for not letting the doctor know, but when he's late, you know, I still gotta pay, and you know, I mean, just going on and on and on. They just keep making these comments to others in the room, just grumbling and complaining. And last time I checked, it doesn't get them in the office any faster. In fact, the, the, the office staff may actually have some fun with that and just make them wait a little bit longer, you know? <laughs> but I haven't met anyone yet who really enjoys being forced to wait for something that you need. However, waiting is a part, an intentional part of God's plan for us. He has a purpose for making us wait. Waiting keeps us in step with the Spirit and in His perfect timing. And just listen to some of these scriptures. And this, this is just a handful from the Psalms and a few others about waiting. Um, Psalm chapter 27, verse 13 to 14. David wrote, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is a scripture I quote pretty often these days, right? We will see it here in the land of the living. Not when I kick the bucket, not when I get raptured, not when I get my heavenly body. I will see it here in the land of the living. Like, you know, like a kid on Christmas morning, you know, knew that, that, that was me last. I could not sleep, you know, Friday night knowing that, that uh, what was coming Saturday morning. 
But he encourages us to wait on the Lord. To be strong. To take heart. To wait for the Lord. Wait, wait, wait. With confidence, with eagerness, with expectation. Psalm 33, 20. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. And you, you see often in the Psalms, this waiting is coupled with hope and a reminder of who he is. A reminder of who the Lord is. That's what helps keep us in the wait. To keep us from being like that guy that's ready to just, you know, tear everyone's heads off because he's being forced to wait. To keep us to be like the person, you know, knitting away or doing their crossword puzzles. Just, just it's part of the process. They get it. They're okay with it. They know the time's going to come. Remembering who the Lord is helps us to wait. There, uh, Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. That, that, that curse word right there, patiently. It's a good thing. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Wait patiently for him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Aren't people nasty? I mean, God's good, but people can be nasty. And his own people can be nasty. But God's always good. So don't worry about whether they succeed or get caught up or whatever. Just wait on him. Keep your focus on him. 3815, Lord, I wait for you. You answer. You will answer. Lord, my God. He will answer. Psalm 135 through 6, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. Sometimes part of us waits, but the other, our heart can wait, but our mind is like, mm -mm, now, come on, you know. Instead, he writes, my whole being waits, and in his word I will put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. See, because most psalms are songs. You got that repetitiveness, but whew, waiting, my whole being. Being waits for the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. And you know what he did from there on out, if you know Psalm 140. He lifted me out of the miry mud and clay and muck, and he set my feet on a rock, right? And many are going to see that and put their own trust in the Lord as well. Isaiah 30, verse 18. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. Like, don't misunderstand who God is while you're waiting on him. He wants to be gracious to you. He wants to give you good things. But he knows when the right time is, and we do not. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. The Lord is a God of justice. We learned all about that last week, right? That should be a prayer of ours. I've never thought about it that way. Justice from our adversary, from our enemy. Blessed is everyone who waits on him. Lamentations 3.19, verse or first. Chapter 3, verse 19 to 26. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. It's tough to be in a time of waiting when you are in legitimate need. And everybody that you helped out turns their backs on you. And you feel even abandoned by God. Suffering, homelessness, it's bitter. In fact, the, the writer here says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. I love the phrase, dare to hope. You got to be an adventurer to hope when you're in that season. It takes guts. It takes strength to hope when you're in that awful season. 
But I dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of God never ends. His mercies, they never cease. Great is God's faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. I will say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him. Right? When everyone else turns their back on you, you just understand you can't depend on anybody. You can't even depend on yourself. you got to depend on God. On God. How long, O oh Lord? Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> to those who search for him. So it's good to wait quietly. To wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. And we go on. A few more scriptures here. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. And this is what Habakkuk's complaint is. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. It's okay to be upset with God and to tell him why you're upset and how you're upset. It's actually written in his word right here. Habakkuk's like, you don't even listen. How long do I got to keep calling out for you? And he says, violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this in misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to just argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There's no justice in the courts. The wicked outnumber the righteous, and justice has become perverted. I don't know about you all, but I watch the news pretty often, and this sounds like it could be written today. This could be written this very day, because these things are happening. Everywhere you look, people are just divided and arguing and fighting with each other. Now you don't even have just Democrat and Republican. You've got like far left Democrat, far right Democrat. It just, it's ridiculous. Everybody's divided amongst themselves. And there's no justice in the courts. There, the justice has been perverted in this country. I mean, it just, and you look at the, the evil deeds and people who are prospering in them. It's miserable. Everywhere you look, you just see these things. But then the Lord answers Habakkuk. He answers his cries for justice. And I'm going to skip ahead for time's sake to um, chapter 2. It says, Then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. God's like, okay. This is what I have to say, and I'm not just saying it to you. I want everyone to be able to hear my word and run with it. I want everyone to understand it, my plan and my purpose in this wait. And he goes on to verse 3 and he says, this vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, just wait patiently. It will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And then to sum up the rest of this chapter, God says justice is coming. I see what's happening and I'm going to step in. Justice will be delivered. In fact, it's interesting when you read through the, um, you know, through all of the fights of Joshua. He didn't send God's people in because their sin hadn't reached its right number yet for God's justice to step in and to kick them out. But here's the whole point of all of this when we're waiting. It is possible for us, while we're waiting on God, to get ahead of him. To take a hold of his prophetic promise 
and to try to make it happen on your own. To get ahead of him and to try to help God's promises to come to pass, to be fulfilled. We, I don't know about y'all, but that's the way I'm wired. I like to fix things. If someone tells me a problem, I want to give you some solutions. Like, let's try this. And if it doesn't work out, well, let's try something else. And I got to be honest, I'm a pastor, and very rarely do I ever tell someone, you know what, you just need to wait. Just, just don't do anything. Just wait. That should be my number one answer, right? As a, as a, a person representing the Lord, should be wait on God. God's got you. He's going to take care of this. But no, I'm naturally wired in my flesh to want to do things and fix things, right? To do our part and to trust God to do his. That's how I, that's how I spiritualize my, my impatience, you know? <laughs> We're just doing our part. You know, you got to do something while you're waiting. But so often it's just wait patiently on him. He'll, he'll take care of you at the right time. In fact, we know typically, what do we go to to describe this act? Abram and Sarai, Right? You know, they got ahead of God and, um, and, you know, they produced Ishmael. However, I feel more often, more often than us trying to fix it on our own and get ahead of God, more often it's the process and the purpose behind waiting on God that we struggle with. We don't understand why he would want us to wait. It doesn't make sense that God would want us to wait to be healed to wait to be delivered, to wait to have provision. It just doesn't make sense. We struggle with that. Why, why would a good God let me suffer, right? That's a typical challenge of God's character. Why would he let someone suffer? But many of God's promises simply can't be rushed or made to come to pass on their own without him. Most of his promises really just... In fact, if you're one of those fixers, you may come to the realization that you can't do it on your own. You tried everything, and all that you ended up was tired, exhausted, frustrated, and bitter. None of those are fruits of the Spirit, by the way. I don't know if you've realized that or not. That means you weren't keeping in step with the Spirit because it didn't produce the fruits of the Spirit. You were doing it in your own flesh, and you just ended up frustrated. The issue then becomes not waiting, because we all got to wait on the Lord. You can't twist his arm and make him do anything. He's good, and he has a purpose in the waiting. The issue, rather, is how we wait. And we go back to the simple lyric of David, Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. And you'll see this word over and over again with waiting. Waiting patiently. Patience is less about the fact that you're waiting, and it's more about how you wait. Patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit, waiting is not a fruit of the Spirit. Waiting is just everything, it's just something that we all have to do. We have to wait. Patience is our attitude while we wait. It's our mindset while we wait. It's our actions while we wait. It's, it's how we wait. That's what patience is all about. We're supposed to be patient, but, you know, we, we aren't always. Waiting patiently expresses trust in God. It expresses faith in his plans to come to pass at the right time. It, it expresses that you understand that God has a process that he wants you to follow while you're waiting. 
and faith that he can fulfill his promises without your help. God doesn't need you. If he promised it, he can do it all on his own. He doesn't need you. Yes, there are many conditional promises. If you do this, then I will do that. But just as many of his promises are unconditional, they're a covenant. God just said, I will. This morning, we're going to turn back to God's people who are about to be delivered from slavery, brought one step closer to fulfilling the covenant promise that were made generations ago to Abram. They were about to be taken through this process. See, me, I, I love, this, this is how I'm wired. I love processes, and, you know, you go through these different steps, and it just I, I, I just love documenting these kind of things, and it helps me to think as a software developer side, you know, and now I'm not writing code for computers. This is God's word to correctly code people, <laughs> to, to get us to act the way we're supposed to act, right? This is the process that God has, and I've never really seen this before. He delivers us, then we grow, then there's a battle season, and then he ultimately brings about his blessing. That's what God was going to take his people through. But you see, most of us want this. We want God to deliver us, and we want God to bless us. I don't want to change. I don't want to grow. I don't want to mature. I don't want to change anything about me. I definitely don't want to go through a battle. I don't want to have to fight. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm not a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know, we, we just want God to deliver us and God to bless us. We don't want to go through that in-between season. If you don't believe me, just take a look at God's people. Exodus would have been a very short book if God's people had just done what they were supposed to do. Very short book. We would have learned very little. They just would have, boom. We, we wouldn't have even need Joshua, you know? Moses would have led his people on a few-day trip, went into the promised land, kicked all the people out, the end. Instead, they spent, what was it, 40 years? Wandering around and around and around and around. It should have taken days. You can look this up. Their trip from Egypt into the promised land should have taken days, and instead it took decades. In fact, a whole generation had to die off before they could go in. That wasn't really God's plan and purpose, but his people. How did he describe them? I love how God describes his people. They are a stiff-necked, stubborn, hard-headed, hard-hearted people. And unfortunately, God could say that about me pretty much any day, right? He said, if I go with them, what am I going to do? I'm just going to love on them and cuddle them and love them. God said, if I go with them, I'll destroy them. <laughs> it's God speaking. It doesn't sound very Christ-like, but it's him speaking. Wow. Okay. We don't want to be those people. I don't want to frustrate God. I don't want God to be ticked off at me. I want to just cooperate with him, co-labor with him, so that he can have his way in me. And if that means I got to change and grow, let it be. If that means I got to fight some battles, let it be. So that finally God can bring about his blessing. Not for my good and benefit, but so that people can see the blessing and see that it was God who delivered me. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for them too. It makes it all about him. In fact, listen to how God prophesied to Moses this process, this process that he was beginning. In Exodus chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 through 13, and I love this quote. 
I don't know anything about Suzanne Woods Fisher. She could be an atheist for all I know. Um, I really don't know anything about her, but this quote is awesome. If God brings you to it, he will bring you through it. And listen to this, this prophecy when God was starting the process with Moses. He said to Moses, I want you to go tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. What was Exodus about? Who was it all about? Was it about the Israelites who were suffering in slavery? Kind of, but ultimately it was about the Lord. This is covenant. This is a covenant promise. God says, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to free you. I'm going to kick out the enemy. I'm going to do it all. All I got to do is follow me. I'm going to do it. Just come along with me for the ride. It's so simple, but we make it so complicated. Because here we see another bird of prey that can steal away God's promises from us. So God tells Moses, I'm going to do it all. Does Moses just say, yeah, this is awesome. You know, this is going to be great. No, of course not. Verse 9. Moses told the Israelites, and they didn't listen to him. Because of their discouragement and their harsh treatment. You see, God's promise, it doesn't sound so good when you're in the middle of that season. Cheryl, how does healing sound to you? You know, it would be wonderful. But I know... For myself, there are some seasons when I'm so down and discouraged, I can't even muster up the hope. Can't even muster up the faith. I start to doubt that God's ever going to even do it. I just got to be honest in my flesh. And then I got to give myself that pep talk that David always, no, you need to patiently wait on the Lord. He's going to do it. It's coming. He promised it. Because the Israelites were so discouraged, that's the bird of prey, it had stolen away their hope in God. Even though Moses came and said, hey, God said, I'm going to do all this thing. They wouldn't even listen to him. You know, they're like, whatever, just go away. We don't want to hear it anymore. We've, we've, you know what? Our parents and their parents and their parents told us that this God was going to come and deliver us. Yeah, 400 years later, here we are. Where is this God, right? I mean, be honest. Hundreds of years later, you'd be probably feeling the same way and thinking the same way. God seems unsurprised by this and undeterred by it. He doesn't change his plan at all because... God went back to Moses and said, okay, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to the Lord, but if the Israelites wouldn't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? In fact, I speak with faltering lips. Now the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And then God goes on and he explains things a bit more. His plan was unchanging but he explained things to Moses and to Aaron, his people. Sometimes it would be nice to see that explanation about why you're going through this waiting season, right? But nevertheless, God didn't change his plan. He didn't care that his people wouldn't listen to him. He didn't care that Pharaoh was hardened in his heart and wouldn't listen to him. 
God's plan was God's plan. And nothing was going to falter it. Nothing was going to shake it. Everything was about to rise up against it. But he didn't care. It was his plan. And he was going to see it through to the end. God didn't change it. Exodus chapter 8 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh. And say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they may worship me. And then, of course, we see all the signs and wonders as God per, just pours out his judgment on the Egyptians. Didn't touch the Israelites to show that they were his people. And then finally we get to the end, the last awful judgment. You want to talk about a hard season of waiting. All these judgments were coming. You may feel like you're under the judgment of the Lord. According to Romans 8, there's no condemnation for you if you're in Christ. Your salvation is on its way. And then God came in Exodus chapter 11 and said, I'm going to bring one more plague to Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he's going to let you go from here. And when he does, he's going to drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold because the, the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. And Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. It's interesting. Even through all of these plagues, the ten plagues of Egypt, people were still soft-hearted toward Moses. It was only Pharaoh who was hard-hearted. So you know the Lord can bring about change through people, even if leaders keep sticking their heels in the ground, right? Then it finally happened in Exodus chapter 12. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoners, who were in the dungeons. The firstborn of all the livestock, even as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was such a loud wailing in Egypt. For not a single house existed without someone passing away within it. And all of this is just awful, horrible. Even the Hebrews, God's own people, have to be heartbroken by the sound and what was happening all around them. And it says, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, and he said, just leave. You and all the Israelites, go, go worship God as you've requested. Take your flocks, take your herds, as you have said, and go. But as you're going also, bless me. Finally, Pharaoh's heart was softened. And even he wanted blessed of the Lord, knowing that he could not stand against him in his plans. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and to leave the country, for otherwise they said, we're all going to die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was even added. They carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clo clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed them and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and clothing the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for. They plundered the Egyptians. While they were leaving, they were made rich. God not only saved and delivered his people, but he blessed them. God did this that night. This is the whole point of all of this. If you're wondering, and if you're like, it was a rough night last night, having a hard time staying awake. This is what God did in this instance. They, the Israelites didn't have to change at all. They didn't even have to believe the Lord. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to do anything. God delivered them, and he blessed them. They took all the riches of Egypt with them. God delivered them and blessed them. 
But blessing without character becomes a curse. Being blessed without developing your character always becomes a curse. Just if, you, if you don't believe me, just there's all kinds of like TV series out there about those who hit the lottery and got rich quick. It, it never ends good for those people. You'll say right now, I would, I, th- this community would be so blessed. I'd help so many people. And, and you may do those things, but it never ends well, even after you do all those things. So three months into their journey, you guys are familiar with the story. Most of you are. They're heading toward the promised land and God decided to meet with them all. He gave them the Ten Commandments, right? We're all familiar with those. Ten Commandments, those are awesome. Do you understand? God got interrupted. He wasn't done. He didn't just have Ten Commandments for them. They just got bored after ten. God's people just refused to listen after ten. They're like, I got a short attention span. Ten, that's good. Okay, Moses, you stay here. You get all the rest. Then you come back and give us the cliff notes, okay? I'm just, I I can't take this in. And then, trust me, Moses and Joshua, for chapter after chapter after chapter, they are given all of these laws of how to govern and their civil life and their spiritual life. And then they're given, uh, you know, all these details about God's tabernacle and what it's going to look like. And, I mean, he went on in some great detail. The people, they got tired after 10. So God did not only give 10 commandments, okay? You can read through Exodus yourself and to see this. He had way more than 10, but they just got bored and tired after 10 and didn't want to listen to God anymore. They were afraid. After 10, the conviction was so heavy, they were like, tell us no more. We, we can't, can't handle it. They would catch up with Moses later. In fact, the very next law, commandment number 11, do not make any gods to be alongside of me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. That's commandment number 11. Guess what the first commandment was to be broken? by God's people who wouldn't listen to God and went off and did their own thing. They, they, they made themselves a God of gold, believe it or not. They, they broke it. What happened while the people were waiting? They were disconnected from God. While God's people, there were hundreds of thousands of them, after the 10th commandment, when they said, we're afraid, we don't want to listen to God anymore, Moses, you listen for us, and tell us what to do. They, what they chose to do is they disconnected themselves from God. His presence was right there. And he invited all of them into his presence. Not just Moses. But they refused to go. They refused to listen. And while they were disconnected from God, then they grew impatient. For those of you who don't know the English language and the prefix im, that means the opposite of patient. They got impatient. And of course, as a result, they sinned. Exodus 32, right? When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming back from the mountain, when they were forced to wait, when they got impatient, they gathered around Aaron and they said, come on, make us gods that'll go before us. They were invited into the very presence of the one true living God. And instead they said, Aaron, We're afraid of that, dude. Make us a God. Make us someone. Make us a God that we can follow here while we're waiting. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we we don't know what happened to him. Dude's been up there for like 40 days and he still ain't back. We don't know what happened to him, so make us a God. Aaron said, 
Hey, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. Everybody had some bling. You know, everybody was, what's, what's the word? Everyone was drip. Is that what it is today? I don't know. People, teens, no? Anyways, I don't know. I think that's the word. Yeah, they're drip, you know. They're, they're blinging back in my day in the 90s. I don't know. They're drippy. Okay, there you go. See? That's how I like my eggs. I like dippy eggs. I don't know. So, God, sorry. I had a hard time waking up this morning, too. I'm going to try not to rabbit drill too much. So, the blessing became a curse because the blessing became a God. The blessing became a God when they skipped the process. Take off the gold earrings that everyone's wearing. So all the people took off all their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed to him and made him, them into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Anybody ever do any casting before? My father-in-law worked at uh, Elger at the plant and he told me all about casting. That's not just something that accidentally happens, is it? It takes a lot of time to build a cast, to mold and to shape a cast and then to pour things into it. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he formed an idol he cast it into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. So even after he cast all that gold, melted it down, and put it into that form, he then fashioned it with a tool as well. Then, then they said, these are your gods, Israel. They're the ones who brought you up out of Egypt. People believe some crazy things out there in the world spiritually, don't they? <laughs> God's people just got on board with this. Why? Because these gods told them to do what they wanted to do. They didn't have to change. They, had to, they got to have a party. You know, but, but it was all because of this. Because they went from deliverance to blessing. It was a curse. They didn't have to change. They didn't have to fight. And so the blessing became their God. They quickly turned the blessing into their blesser, turning the creation into their creator. They worshipped God their own way. They did what they thought was best. And which, of course, what was it best to them to do after they got delivered from Egypt and they have all this plunder? They threw a party like no other party. It was a giant orgy. Just whatever they wanted to do with whoever they wanted to do it with, it was happening. This is what was happening. They were indulging in their flesh. Now God saw all this happen and he's like, you know what? Moses, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to destroy all of them. And what that was was a test. A test to Moses. In the same way that later Solomon would be test. Ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. But Moses' character was revealed at the same time as the other Israelites' character was being revealed. See, that's what the waiting season does. The waiting season doesn't cause you to be impatient... The waiting season reveals that you're impatient. Waiting season doesn't cause you to become bitter and angry. It just reveals that you're an angry, bitter person. You have some character development and growth that needs to happen. And while you're waiting on God, that is the time that you can grow and develop. And it forms your character so that you're a better, stronger person through that, through that wait. Moses interceded for his people. He reminded God of the covenant and the promise that he had made with Abram and then his descendant, you know, so on and so forth. God 
honored Moses' request and relented, relented on what he was doing against his people. So then Moses and Joshua, they got down off of the mountain, went back out of God's presence, and they began approaching the camp. And they heard this sound. They heard this sound as they were descending the mountain. It's all they could do at first, you know. For any guys that are wandering through the woods lately, sometimes you hear things. No, I love it, Bethany, yesterday, you know, so many deer were running around, then you turn your head, and it's a gray squirrel, you know, right? You know, you think it's this giant monster buck running through the woods, and nah, it's a squirrel. It's a chipmunk scurrying along, you know, loudest things. It's kind of what happened here. They were coming down off the mountain, and before, before they saw anything, they heard something. Now, the last time I looked scientifically, which travels faster, light or sound? Light, sorry. Sorry, yeah, light travels faster than sound. That's why there's a thing like a sonic boom, you know? When, when, plane, when the, the, the blue fighters are flying overhead, you see them, then a few seconds later it's like, boom, you know? Because light travels faster than sound. But they didn't see the people first. They heard the people first. Exodus chapter 20, verse 23. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Said not to make any God alongside of him. And of course, that's what they did. They, they did all of these things. Um, yeah, blah, 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 blah. I already said all of that. Sorry, I lost my own place. But this is what happened. As they were descending the mountain, this is in Exodus chapter 32, verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's war in the camp. There is a sound of war in the camp. And in verse 18, Moses replied, that's not the sound of victory. And it's not the sound of defeat. The sound you're hearing is not war. You're hearing singing. Shouting and singing. Is it the sound of war? Is it the sound of victory? Is it the sound of defeat? No. It's the sound of singing. Shouts of singing. While the people were indulging in their flesh. However, I believe that Joshua heard correctly. It was people making war with the very same God who had just delivered them. Joshua heard it right. There was a war happening and the people were losing it. They were losing the spiritual war, the battle. They were just doing what they thought best. They could care less about God who had just delivered them. They said, the God that just delivered us, it's all this bling that we brought from the Egyptians. That's the God who delivered us. Shouts of singing, making war with the very same God who just delivered them. And so Moses said to Aaron in Exodus 32, verse 21 to 26, why did these people, or no, rather he said, what did these people do to you? <laughs> Remember, this is his brother. Aaron was Moses's, I think, older brother, right? Somebody can fact check me on that one. See, where's Facebook when you need it? Meta, I need fact checked here. Was Aaron the older brother, right? I believe Aaron was, anyways. So Moses goes to Aaron, he's like, what did these people do to you? What did they do that caused you to lead them into such great sin? Aaron said, don't be angry with me. You know how prone these people are to evil. <laughs> I love the blame game. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses you brought up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. 
Then they gave me the gold. Listen to what Aaron said. They gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire. And out came this calf. You can check your own Bible. Exodus 32. Is that really how it happened? Last time I checked, you don't grab a bunch of gold, throw it in the fire, and then plop, plop, out comes a golden calf. Aaron doesn't want to take the heat from Moses, right, about what really went down. The last time I I, I checked, I had to read back there, Aaron made a cast for it, melted down, like he fashioned it by hand with a tool. You see, but we're just as guilty of doing this, aren't we? We're just as guilty in response to our sin, claiming that it just accidentally happened. Or someone made me do it, right? Let me tell you the truth. Nobody can make you do anything. God can't even make you do anything. You're a freed person. You got free will. Nobody can make you. You choose to do it. You either choose to cave in to their demands, or you just do it because you want to do it. That's why we are responsible for our own selves. Not for other people, not for the way they treat us, not what they do to us. We got to answer to God for our own selves. Nothing accidentally happens, okay? No golden calf accidentally pops out of a fire, okay? And neither did your sin accidentally just pop out of your life. Because last time I checked, God said that he will never, ever let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Last time I read, it says that God will be faithful, he will always make a way out of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He's never going to let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He's always going to make a way out. So whose fault is it when a golden calf pops out of your life? Mine. Own it. No one made you do it, okay? It's not just in your genes, you know? There's no excuse. Moses saw the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control. It's all his fault, Aaron, right? You know, this is the first Aaron. It's all his fault. Not only that, they became a laughingstock to all of their enemies. See, God wasn't the only one who saw what was happening there and knew what was going down. Their enemies saw it too. Do you think they're going to be afraid of these people who were drunk and wasted? And They're not afraid of these people. This isn't a mighty... You know, th these aren't the people who just defeated Egypt, right? These are not the people who defeated Egypt and plundered them. These people are just boneheads. I mean, come on, they're not afraid of them. So Moses stood at the entrance of the camp and he said, whoever's for the Lord, come with me. And so this morning, in closing, this is why I flip-flopped the service because I felt like the Lord wanted us to. This morning, a sound needs to rise up. The sound of shouts and singing. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Moses stood at the entrance to the camp and he said, whoever's for the Lord, come with me. Because a war is about to begin. It's going down. The line has been drawn. It may be in the form of singing and shouting and rejoicing. But worship is worship, right? You may be just worshiping the Lord, but you are declaring war anytime you choose to praise. You're declaring war on your adversary, the enemy, the devil. When you lift up Jesus, you can't help 
but to humble yourself, your flesh, and your enemy. So while we are waiting, what is our response going to be? Are we going to lift up shouts of praise to God? Are we going to lift up shouts to this life is awesome, let's party, let's get it on, right? Which shouts are we going to raise up? Will we be like Moses and Joshua who followed the Lord, or like the hundreds of thousands of others who just followed their own desires? So I'm going to make my own God, let's me do what I want, right? Are we going to choose to indulge in our flesh and to serve the God of self? Or are we going to hunger and thirst for the Spirit and to serve the Lord? Are we going to press into the presence of God even though it's scary? That dark cloud, that loud voice, the unknown. Or are we going to stand back away from the mountain and say, nope, <laughs> nope, you do it. You guys are the wild, crazy, flaky people. I'm just going to keep my distance and do my own thing. Which one are we going to do? This morning the line has been drawn. I don't know about you all, but that hope ball back there, it was an awesome thing. In January last year, January 1st, Becky felt led by the Lord to, to create that hope wall. And in, in each one of those envelopes is an unfulfilled promise of God. Something that God promised to do, and it just hasn't come to happen yet. Hasn't come to pass. I think two of them so far have turned into testimonies this year. And they happened in January last year. I don't know about you all, but I'm getting a little impatient. We're waiting. Now, some of those, God may actually have a, uh, what do you call it? Not an expiration date, but a fulfillment date on it. It's going to happen, but it's going to happen at just the right time. But I feel like the bulk of those right now are not coming to pass. Not because God doesn't want it to happen, but because of old mindsets because of stubbornness, because of whatever. We haven't grown and matured. This process, we, 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 just, we have been saved, and we're just waiting for God to bless us. But I believe this morning, a lot of those envelopes are waiting on us to grow and to mature, and for us to enter into battle. For us to be the Joshua generation that says, no, 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 enough is enough. The enemy has had his play date. We're not going to die out here in the desert. We're going into the promised land. God promised it, and he is able to fulfill it, no matter how impossible it may be otherwise. And so this morning, we're going to go into worship. And you've got two options. Well, you've got three options this morning. You can either just be like, oh gosh, is this over yet? Come on. Seriously, he's been blabbing all morning, and now we're going like, to go into this lengthy worship thing. You can indulge in your flesh. You can press into the Spirit through just worshiping. And of course, you know there's freedom here in this place. There's banners, there's, the altars are here, the aisles are a little wider. Um, and there's also an option to intercede. To go back to that wall... And to worship the Lord through intercession. To praise him for fulfilling those promises. To praise him for the fulfillment date that is on each and every one of those envelopes. He has a date where those promises are going to come to pass. And some of those dates might be the Lord waiting on us to enter into war to bring them to pass. 
So this morning, hang out in the flesh, enter in the presence through worship, or intercede in prayer. However you feel led to do, or a combination of all three. You can do all three if you want. There is freedom in this house. You don't have to answer to me, or to Nate, or to Joe, or to anyone else. You answer to the Lord for how you respond here. But the Lord has presented an opportunity to enter in. And so, let's get our worship on and enter in. So Jesus, we thank you <laughs> that you held nothing back from us. You laid down your life in worship of the Father. You kicked demons out of people's lives and set them free. You healed their bodies so that the blind could see, the deaf could hear. You prove that you are the resurrection as you raise even the dead to life. There is nothing too hard for you, Lord. Nothing is impossible for you. And Lord, we thank you for each person who is bold enough to put down their need on a piece of paper and to hang it on our hope wall. Lord, we want to dare to hope again this morning. As impossible as things may look, we want to dare to hope in you again. And we're not going to relent until every one of your promises are fulfilled. Because we will see your goodness here in the land of the living. Here in the land of the living, Jesus, we will see your promises fulfilled. We will see battles won. We will get testimonies to share your goodness. Even as Joe is physically here this morning, as he has kicked the butt of that infection in his leg... Lord, we thank you for his many testimonies and all the testimonies you're giving us to share of your goodness. That you sustain us and you see it through because you are good. It's all about you, Lord. You will heal us. You will deliver us. You will save us. You will provide for every need, Lord. We're just looking to you this morning. We're going to give you some praise. Oh, we're going to lift and shout our voices in praise. And an intercessory prayer to you. Because you're the only one that matters this morning. We'll become even more foolish than this, Lord, for you in your name. Amen.